The only way we have joy, Lord, is because you indeed have come. You came once as a babe in the manger. And as we put up lights and put out nativity sets and big cookies, help us not to forget that the reason you had to come was because of the sin and brokenness in this world. And it's easy to just gloss right over that and put up some more tinsel. But the truth is, the only way joy is real is if it's in the context of sorrow and pain. The only way it lasts is if it's not based in us, but in you. And so in this season, we give you thanks for the gift of joy. We pray for those in our community who are in deep need of it, not in need of happiness, not in need of all their dreams coming true, but in need of the true joy of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And some of us in this room are doubting and struggling and uncertain. We need you. And we pray for our community as we move into a season of exams, which is stressful for students and can be burdensome for faculty. And we pray for your attentiveness, Holy Spirit, to us. We're going to have temptations to cheat. We're going to have temptations to be lazy. We're going to have temptations to simply not use the gifts that you've given us. So we pray instead that you will help us to turn toward righteousness and obedience and discipline so that we can be full of grace and truth. And today we lift up a subset of our community. We lift up the Project Neighborhood Houses these homes scattered throughout our city where students live in intentional community with a mentor or a mentor family and learn what it really means to love people even in the times when you don't like them. To learn what it really means to be involved in a neighborhood that may or may not want you there. So we pray a blessing on these homes. We pray for their protection We pray for their spiritual lives as community, that indeed the disciplines that they practice together will form them and shape them and give a hunger to them so that they can continue to do this no matter where you call them to live next. We pray for the mentors who live this way out of a calling. Help them to love deeply and love well. We pray for those who live in these houses to be blessed with laughter and joy, to truly love each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we pray for students who are thinking about this for next year, that you will once again put the right people in the right houses so that community can flourish. We thank you for this opportunity to live in a community in very intentional ways. And Lord, we know that those of us who don't live in Project Neighborhood Houses aren't exempt from this. So help us to love well, especially during times of stress and anxiety, and we all cope in different ways. So help us to see the ways in which we can help others. Maybe it's a gentle question. How did that test go? Can I buy you a coffee? What can I do for you? Help us to tend well to others this week, Lord, instead of being obsessed with our own selves. We pray for Calvin College. In this season of budget cuts and prioritization, strategic planning, decisions that need to be made, God, we pray wisdom for our leaders. 
We pray that you will shower them with exactly the right things that they need to do next. Give them clarity. And we pray in this month of December when many people make their year-end gifts that the response from those who donate to this college will be overwhelming. That it will remind us again not of the goodness of people but the faithfulness of our God. We thank you that we can practice generosity here in this place. We thank you for the Community Care Fund and we ask a blessing on everyone who has received funds from it. We thank you that we have this way of caring well. And now, Lord, as we go to your word, we pray that this old story will be fresh today and will bring deep comfort to us in a season when we need comfort and joy. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I invite you to just have a Bible open and accessible near you, and we'll turn to the passage that I'll be referring to later, but just get it out so that you're ready. And let me tell you about somebody who is a lot like us, a lot like us. This person was reared in a family that loved the Lord, a family that went to church, went to worship regularly, that practiced obedience to the commandments of the Lord. In fact, this person grew up in a clergy house. You know how that is. And he actually became clergy himself, and he was responsible for the worship of his community. But as he grew older, he began to realize that there were deep problems in the community that he was trying to serve. There was corruption in the worshiping community. There was corruption in the state. People who were powerful were oppressing people who were powerless. It wasn't getting any better. Everywhere he looked, it was just getting worse and worse. And because he was a person who was well-versed in Scripture, a person who had a deep relationship with the Lord, he poured his heart out in lament. And his lament sounds like this. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Or cry to you, violence! and you won't save. Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack. And justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. He is a legitimate gripe. He has a legitimate lament. And we get that, don't we? We mark the anniversary of the school shooting in Newton. We think, man, what is going on in this world? We hear about the conflict in the Central African Republic where Christians are fleeing Muslims. And believe me, there are other places where other people have to flee Christians, so we're not always innocent. We read about nuns in Syria who've been kidnapped. They've been gone for a week. We see violence and destruction before us. And in, and in our own lives, we, we feel it. Some of us are very aware that we can work as hard as we can work this week 
and we're going to be right on the bubble of whether or not we keep our scholarship. Some of us started off this school year and we said this is going to be the year. It's going to be new habits and new friends. I'm living with new people. It's going to be a fresh start. I'm going to do things differently. And we find ourselves in December. And we look about the same. And some of us sat at the Thanksgiving table and some of us will sit at a Christmas table and there will be somebody who's missing. And so we lament. We cry out. We wonder what God's doing. And it's made worse because everybody puts up light and they put up tinsel and they make the cookies and everybody says, hey, be merry, be happy, yay. It just feels hollow to some of us. It just doesn't fit. In fact, if we could, we would just fast forward right to maybe like the Super Bowl. Let's just go right to early February. Just get right through this whole thing. Let's have a party where nothing matters. And so we understand what our friend is saying. How are we supposed to feel when there's so much brokenness right around us. Our friend offers his lament and God responds and he says, oh, yeah, actually, it's going to get worse because this is what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to stir up the Chaldeans and the Chaldeans are going to come and they're going to sweep across Judah. They're going to, they're going to sweep across and it's going to be violent and it's, it's going to be bad. And our friend hears God say that. He's like, um, what? That, that's not helping. How is that helping? How does that make things better? And he uses this image. He says, that nation, the Chaldeans against Judah, they're just going to scoop us up like a fisherman and catches fish in the net. We are doomed. How does this make anything better? Because our friend, like us, doesn't want that. Our friend, like us, wants the God snap of the fingers that makes it immediately better. He wants God to change everybody's heart so that they move toward worship again, so that they love the Lord again, so that they obey the commandments again. He wants God to snap his fingers and everyone's heart grew three sizes that day. That's what he wants, right? And that's what we want. We want the snap of the fingers. Oh, congratulations, surprise, you did better than you thought. You're getting more scholarship money. <laughs> congratulations, the depression is just gonna disappear. Congratulations, your parents who are divorced are actually gonna communicate nicely with each other for once. We want the snap of the fingers like our friend wants the snap of the fingers. And when God says, actually, it's going to get a little worse before it gets better, our person says, I don't get that at all. And so God says to him, write this vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. God's saying here like, 
billboard size. All right, we're going to need a big tablet for this. Make it plain so that a runner can read it. Here's what you got to have. This is what you got to chisel down. For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and it does not lie. If it seems to tarry, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them. But the righteous will live by faith. God gives a vision to our friend. He says, this is the deal, my young prophet. This is what's going to happen. Your story, you, prophet, and the people of Judah, your small story in this particular time and place in history is part of a much larger story that is moving the trajectory of history toward its ultimate restoration. There is a vision, there is a plan, there is a purpose. And I know right now you see the proud winning, you see the nations that are pagan becoming stronger, you see violence, you see destruction, but I need to tell you, write this down, put it on a billboard, make it so clear that no one can miss it. There is a plan, there is a vision, and if it seems like it's taken a while, wait for it. And I want you to be clear about this. The righteous will live by faith. And this does something to our friend. It goes deep into his bones and suddenly he realizes, oh, oh, it's not about me. It's about what God is doing through me and through my people toward a big purpose. And so my individual circumstances may go from bad to worse, but I can trust in God. And what our friend, whose name is Habakkuk, writes at the end of his book is one of the most clear statements of trust and faith that exists in all of Scripture. And it would be a great Advent discipline if you memorized it after maybe, you know, next week, Wednesday. Turn to page 764. Page 764. Habakkuk 3, verses 17, 18, and 19. Habakkuk was a priest. He came from a, the tribe of priests. He knew what he was doing. He understood the losses that would come to his country. He knew that the losses that would come to himself. And yet this is what he says. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, Though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. 
And it would be tempting to say, well, Habakkuk here is a little bit of a Pollyanna. He's a little bit like, oh, I'm going to ignore the problems of the world. La, 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 la. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. But that is not what he's doing. He's acknowledging very deeply that some things are not going to get better for him. And in fact, for his nation, they're going to get a lot worse. And you see what he says there in verse 18? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will get my joy. I will take my joy. I will center my joy, not in the circumstances that surround me, but in the fact that I belong to a God who is writing a grand story, and my little story is a part of that big story. The sovereign Lord is my strength. What we see here in Habakkuk is a man who has been shaped by loss and pain. He knows things are going to get worse. Right before this, he says, I will wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. He knows he is living in an ugly time, an ugly season. But he says, here's where I get joy. I get joy, my Lord. And this isn't flippant joy. This is like the joy that was sung about at the beginning, where the, the lyrics are, there's joy deep down in my heart, and yet the tune is plaintive. And if you watch that video and you thought, is that Amina? Does that, is that Pastor Amina? It's not. It's her sister, who's in a band called Autumn Film, in case you want to Google that later. But it's a really interesting mix of lyrics that we usually know as like, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. There you go. And she takes it and she melds it with a tune and, and she says, I'm not going to pretend and I'm not going to say that. I'm going to try to understand, but I'm going to lift my chest and do my best and be real. Joy is not about how we feel. It's about how we respond to what God and Christ has done for us. And it's tempting in the season of Advent because everyone says, okay, in the season of Advent, we remember that Jesus came once and that Jesus will come again, and everything will be better when Jesus comes again. So just wait, just hang in there and wait. True. But that's not all the story. Because when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't say to his disciples, okay, everybody just wait, just, just chill. Um, and uh, I'm going to use a line Arnold will use in a few thousand years, I'll be back. <laughs> he didn't say that. What did Jesus say right before he ascended into heaven? I'm with you always. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And you can see this because after he ascends into heaven and they wait and then the Holy Spirit comes and then the whole book of Acts is about how they're learning to be attentive to the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Jesus and they're trying to pay attention to what God is doing among them and with them because he's with them always. He's right there. And so when Habakkuk says, the sovereign Lord is my strength, He's talking about that. He's not just talking about the sweet by and by when you die. Because Habakkuk didn't really know about Jesus. I mean, he didn't really understand how that was all going to unfold. He didn't really know the whole picture. We know a lot more than he knew. But he was able to say, because I trust in the Lord, the Lord is my strength every day. And from there I get my joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. 
It's not a flippant joy. It's not a joy based on feeling or circumstance. It's not the joy you have when you get the paper back and the grade is better than you deserve. It's not that kind of joy. It's not a fleeting joy. It's a deep, resilient joy. It's joy that can endure all of the things that are going to come to you in your life because people, a lot of things are going to come to you in your life. Some of you got 50, 60, 70 years left on this planet. That's a lot of life. And we have to figure out how to be joyful no matter what. This is why Paul could say that he was content in every circumstance because he knew deep joy. For the week of Thanksgiving, Time Magazine asked some people about thanks, what were they were thankful for. One of the people that they asked was Rick Warren. Some of you know Rick Warren. He's a pastor in California. He's written Purpose Driven Life, Purpose Driven Church. This is what Rick Warren said. This year became the worst year of my life when my youngest son, who'd struggled since childhood with mental illness, took his own life. How am I supposed to be thankful? God doesn't expect me to be thankful for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. There's a huge difference. The first attitude is masochism. Thankful for all circumstances. The second shows maturity. That's what we have in Habakkuk. Thankful in all circumstances. We're not supposed to be thankful for evil or sin or the innocent suffering caused by these things. But even in heartache and grief, there are still good things that I can be thankful for. I'm thankful that God sees all I go through. He cares. He grieves with me. I'm thankful that even though I don't have all the answers, God does. I'm thankful that God can bring good even out of the bad in my life when I give him the pieces. It's his specialty. God loves to turn crucifixions into resurrections and then benefit the whole world. God never wastes a hurt if we give it to him. That's somebody who's got joy. Deep joy. Not because of circumstance, but because of the gospel. Because of a God who takes our little stories and weaves them together into a beautiful narrative of redemption and restoration. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread upon the heights. Joy. Joy. Down in our hearts. Down in our hearts to stay. Will you pray with me? Our God, how amazing it is to have a brother like Habakkuk who points us to you and your generous grace. We thank you that Jesus Christ is not only going to come back someday in a way that we cannot even imagine, but he's also with us right here, right now. He's with us always. May we be attentive to what you are doing in our lives. May we have deep, deep joy 
Joy that even allows us at times to lament and then to say, yet I will rejoice in you. Thank you, great God, for the gift of Jesus who came down that we may have joy. In his name we pray, amen.